Thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. Why do you need God's guidance, and how does God guide people like you and me? Most of us as followers of Christ would like to know how to best understand how God is guiding us in our day-to-day walks with Jesus. Let's look at why we need God's guidance in the first place. This morning I want to talk to you on a great subject, and that is how to know God's subjective will. We know God's objective will when He says it clearly in Scripture. But what, about, what do we do when He hasn't spoken clearly in Scripture? There are many situations where we don't know exactly what God's will is for us. So what, do we, what kind of decision-making process do we go through in those situations? For example, where should I go to school? What should I study? Which job should I take? Should I be there? Should I be with that person? Should I drink this or smoke that? Who should I date? Should I marry this person? Is this marriage solid enough for me to bring a child into it? The Bible doesn't tell us where to go to church, but that's simply because our church wasn't uh, in operation at that time. Had it been, it would have said go to Corrington. Now, I'm just kidding, but uh, you need to lighten up a little bit. But the Bible doesn't tell us where to go to church. This past Wednesday night, I did a message on how God leads us, and this is kind of a kindred message. If you missed it, I suggest you go back and get it. There are a few things I'll repeat this morning that I spoke of in more detail during that one. So I want to talk about understanding how God guides. So let's begin in your outline with this. Why do we need God's guidance? I'll give you three reasons. Number one, the Bible isn't definitive on every decision we must make. The Bible isn't definitive or clear. It doesn't state uh, every decision uh, we must make. And Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us that the Bible doesn't answer all our questions. What it does do is give us enough information to know and walk with God. If you read 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, it tells us that the Bible's given to us so that we would know how to behave, we would know what to do, and we would be equipped to do it. But what do we do when the Bible doesn't tell us what we ought to do? Well, in those cases, we take the biblical principles that we know and we apply them to our situation. Now, what I'm about to say is really, really important. Just because something is legal doesn't make it moral. For example, all over the country now, uh, marijuana, smoking marijuana has become legal. That doesn't mean that God wants you to do it. It doesn't mean that God thinks it's moral. Just because man says that you can do it doesn't mean that God wants you to do it. A great principle in life is just because you can doesn't mean that you should. You do everything you can, you'll get in a lot of trouble. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, it tells us there about the question uh, not to ask. And the question not to ask is, is it lawful? The question to ask is, is it profitable? Is this not only a good thing for me, is this the best thing for me to do? Another question we're told to ask in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 is, can this possibly control me? So if it's anything that might be able to addict me, then the answer is no, I don't need to do that. Now there's a verse similar to it in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. And there it adds another question, as that is, will this build up or, or help or will it hurt or tear down other people? In other words, how will my decision affect the lives of other people? 
If someone else does what I'm doing, is it possible that what I'm doing might harm them, even though I say it's not harming me? Now, there's a whole chapter in the Bible on what to do when you don't know what to do. It's 1 Corinthians 8, and there's 13 verses in that chapter. The issue here is to eat or not to eat. That is the question. And it's about meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Was it okay to eat it? God's word there says that if anyone, anyone, saved or lost, mature or immature, is offended by what I choose to do, then I shouldn't do it. Anyone. If, you, if you'll read it, this passage clearly says that even if you know that there's absolutely nothing wrong with this thing you're doing, if it offends others, you shouldn't do it. In fact, it says if you do, you've sinned against a brother, if it's a Christian. And so if you offend him, then what you've done is wrong, even though what you were doing, you didn't think was wrong at all. Even if you're totally convinced that what you're doing is right. So what do we do? We've got to consider not only what the Bible says, the principles we do understand, but we've got to consider how it will affect other people. Living like this takes being holy, considering others as more important than yourselves, looking out for the interests of others, serving others, doing what is right in the sight of all men, dying to yourself, and taking up your cross. It takes all that from the conceptual and abstract to the concrete and practical. So we need to know what, you know, does God want us to do this? How do we decide? We, we apply the biblical principles, principles we do know to the situation we have at hand. Now here's another reason you need God's guidance. And number two is that God knows what we don't know. God knows what we don't know. If you'll listen closely, you're about to have a moment of worship. You're about to have an, a, a moment of awe with God. God is eternal, all-knowing, and all-wise. God knows all that has been, and he knows all that could have been. He knows all that is, and he knows what is, what could have been. In other words, he doesn't just know what is, he knows what this right now could be like, and maybe should have been like. He knows all that will ever be, and all that could possibly ever be. God knows everything that, is happen that has happened to us, is happening to us, will happen to us, and that could possibly have ever happened to us. He knows what you should do. He knows what will happen if you do it. He knows what will happen if you don't do it. If you have 10 options, he knows how all 10 of those options will turn out. In any and every situation, God knows what you should do and why you should do it. He knows what will happen if you do what you should do, and he knows what will happen if you don't do what you should do. Now, we have a very finite, fallible sense of this ourselves, sense of what will happen if certain choices are made. So sometimes we warn friends about decisions they're about to make because we're pretty sure how they'll turn out. As parents, we do this with our children. We tell them to do these things and not do these things because we're pretty sure how it's going to turn out. Well, God, on the other hand, is right every single time. He absolutely always knows. He doesn't just know what happened. He knows everything that could have happened. 
He doesn't just know what is, he knows everything that possibly could be. He not only knows what will happen, he knows everything that could possibly happen. He is all-knowing, eternal, and he's all-wise. In Jeremiah 33, uh, it says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. God knows what we don't know. And because of that, we really need his guidance. So let's go to number three. What we don't know can destroy us. You need to know God's guidance because what you don't know can destroy you. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed through the lack of knowledge. God's commandments and his guidance are all based upon his love, his goodness, his knowledge, and his wisdom. What he doesn't want us to do, he doesn't want us to do because he loves us. Because he wants good for us. Because he knows what is absolutely best for us. We don't know what is best for us. That's why Romans 8, 26 says that we don't know how to pray as we should. In other words, we think we know what we want, but we really don't. We choose to do what we think is best, and we often find out later it wasn't what was best. In some cases, it turns out to be what was worse for us. Listen closely. If you knew what he knows, you'd always do what he tells you to do. If you knew what he knows, you'd always do what he tells you to do. All of our bad choices are based upon our poor understanding of the facts and or the outcomes. Proverbs 21.2 says that every man's way is right in his own eyes. We think that whatever doing is right. Proverbs 16.25 says there's a way which seems right to a man and its end is the way of death. In other words, you can do what you thought was right. It can destroy your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your career, etc., etc. A lot of people want what they want, get what they want, and then find out they didn't really want what they thought they wanted to begin with. Sadly, this happens about half of the time in marriages. Now, let's change gears. Let's talk about understanding how God guides. I'm going to repeat a couple of things from Wednesday night, but I won't spend much time on them. Number one, God wants to guide us. God wants to guide us. Look at Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you. God's got a plan for you. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So God has a plan for you. His eternal plan is to rescue you from all suffering and pain. His plan for you in this life is a good plan. It's the best life you can know here in a cursed world. It won't be problem-free, but it can be God-filled. So number one, God wants to guide us. Number two, God's guidance requires our attention. It requires our attention. See, the problem isn't that God doesn't guide. The problem is we're not paying attention. The problem isn't that God doesn't speak. The problem is that we don't listen. Look at these verses. Jeremiah 7, 13, God says to his people, I spoke to you, but you did not hear. Jesus would use this phrase often. It's there in Matthew eleven fifteen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What he's saying is, everybody's not listening. But if you're listening, you can hear what I'm about to say. When we want to hear, when we're trying to hear, we have ears to hear. Because of God's great love for you, he's more interested in guiding you than you are even being guided. He 
He's more interested in you knowing what you should do and doing it than even you are. But if we're going to know his will, we have to want to know his will, pay attention, watch, and listen. So God's guidance requires attention. This will get explained more as we go on through this outline. Number three, God guides us through five means, five different ways. I talked about this Wednesday night. I'm going to be brief here. Here they are. Number one, God guides us by his word. God's word is infallible. And when it's properly interpreted, doing what the scripture says is always doing God's will. Now, you can misinterpret. You can read that Judas went and hung himself and then flipped somewhere else and says, go down, do likewise, and go hang yourself. That's not properly interpreting Scripture, obviously. So God guides us by his word. And so every time we properly interpret Scripture, we know exactly what God's will is. It's his objective will. It's in black and white. Now, number two, God guides us by his spirit. By his spirit. God speaks, and I put that word in quotation, speaks to us in our spirits, giving us direction where Scripture has not. Our discernment of His voice is not infallible. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that whatever we want or whatever we're thinking is what God is saying. It is not. Jot down Jeremiah 17, 9. And there it tells us that the inner man, our heart, is deceitful above all else deceitful above all else, more deceitful than anything else, and it's desperately sick. If that's true, then I could be mistaken about what I want God wants me to do and what I think God is saying to me. What we think God is telling us should always be filtered through these next three means. Number three, God guides us through circumstances. God opens and shuts doors. God does not expect you to go somewhere you can't go, be something you can't be, do something you can't do. He doesn't expect you to go through doors that don't open. If God wants you to do something, he can orchestrate the circumstance for, to open the door for you to go through. Now, number four, God guides us through others. Much, if not most, of what God says to us, he says to us through other people. They're who are more spiritual, spiritual, more knowledgeable, and more experienced. Wise, intelligent, mature, and spiritual people seek out the wisdom of others. It's not a sign of weakness to seek out counsel and advice. It's a sign of intelligence. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign of emotional security. So God guides us through others. Number five, God guides us through common sense. God gives us intuitive and learned wisdom about some things that aren't clearly stated in the Bible. What some call faith is simply an abandonment of common sense and wisdom. And usually when it's that kind of faith, which isn't faith at all, it's a disaster. So we've got to observe, we listen, we learn, we apply. And so we grow in our natural wisdom, common sense. So these are five ways or means through which God guides us. There, number four, and I've spoken of this one on Wednesday. God guides us quietly. God guides us quietly. In 1 Kings 19, 9 to 13, uh, God comes to speak to Elijah. And so Elijah's in this cave waiting for God to get there. And, uh, and there's this, uh, you need to know that God is not, in this case, he's not in the big, he's not in the loud, he's not in the dramatic, he's not in the spectacular. 
There's this strong wind, but God wasn't in the wind. There was this earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. There was this fire, but God was not in the fire. And then there was this gentle blowing. Gentle blowing. And Elijah knew it was God. God doesn't yell. He whispers. Psalm 46.10 says, Cease striving and know that I'm God. I like the King James here where it says, Be still and know that I'm God. Now, why be still? Because if our lives are loud and fast, we will not hear the voice of the God who whispers. God doesn't run over people. He invites people. God doesn't yell and scream at you. He whispers. Be quiet and be still if you would have him, if you would hear his voice. In Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, it talks about prayer. And it says there that when we come to a time of prayer, don't come and offer the sacrifice of fools by coming and just babbling a whole bunch of stuff out of your mouth. Come draw near rather to listen. And to do that, you have to be still. You have to be quiet. Now, number five. Talk about understanding God's guidance. I, I mentioned this briefly Wednesday. God guides us incrementally. Incrementally. In Exodus 13, 21, we see that God led Israel through the wilderness uh, with a cloud by day and a fire by night. When it moved, they moved. Where it went, they went. They did what they knew to do next, and then they waited for the, for the further instruction for the cloud or the fire to move. In Psalm 119, 105, the Bible says God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. God's guidance is like his lamp that gives us enough uh, uh, light for a few more steps. And we make those steps and then we got to wait for more light. And then when we get more light, we can make more steps. Now I've got two things under that that further explains how God works in, in history and with us. Number one, revelation in scripture is incremental. It's incremental. Those God used to pen the Old Testament didn't know nearly as much about God as the apostles who penned the New Testament. All of Scripture is accurate, but not all of Scripture is complete. For example, in the Old Testament, you see the power and the, and the righteousness and the wrath of God. But you would never even begin in the Old Testament to understand the love of God like we do with the New Testament and with Jesus in the flesh. Noah, Abraham, and Moses didn't see and understand God like Paul did. From the Old Testament all the way to Revelation, we are growing in our knowledge of who God is and who he wants us to be. God's revelation of himself is progressive, incremental through his word. And then number two, God's guidance to us is incremental. God guides us in the same way. When we're saved, God doesn't tell us everything we're going to be doing the rest of our lives. He tells us what to do next. And so we walk in the light that his word gives us, and then we wait for more light. We do what we do next, and then we wait for God to tell us what to do next. And then we wait for God to tell us what to do next. His guidance is progressive. It's incremental. I do this, and then the next I wait, and I'll do the next. So God guides us incrementally. Number six, God gives more guidance when we, when we obey previous guidance given. God gives more guidance when we obey previous guidance given. Now, this is really important. In other words, when we follow and obey the light God gives us, then we get more light to follow and obey. Look at Luke 19, 26. 
This verse, you'll say, this verse doesn't sound fair, but it is. To everyone has, more shall be given. The one who has is going to get more. But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. That this has to do with what you do with what God gives you. When you do the right thing with what God gives you, he gives you more. The parable, the parable, the talents, we see that played out real well. And when you don't do the right thing with what God gives you, he may take away what you have, which is exactly what he did to the third person in the parable, the talents. The more light you obey, the more light you get. And if you don't obey the light that God gives you, you get less light. So when I do what God wants me to do, I put myself in a position to hear next what God wants me to do next. But if God tells me what to do and I don't do what to do, then I may not know what to do next. Why should God tell me what to do next if I hadn't done what he's told me to do now? It's incremental how he leads us. And we obey what we know and then we get more. This is, this is actually how God changes us. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we are being transformed, changed, how? In the image, in the same image, the image of God, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So just as God leads us step by step, he changes us step by step. What it means here when it says from glory to glory is, is this. Remember, glory is, the, is what God, the invisible God's how he reveals himself in a physical world. When we fall short of his glory, we have fallen short of being like he is. When we glorify God, we are, we are being like God is or doing what God wants us to do. So how are we transformed? From glory to glory. From this level of being like Christ, we get light, we obey it, to this level of being like Christ. We get more light, we obey it, we go to this level. And then we get more light, we obey it, we go to the next level. And we're transformed from glory to glory, and it could go on and say to glory. Now look at how God reveals more of us, more of himself to us in his will when we obey him in John 14, 21. Jesus said this, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. This verse tells us that God reveals his will to us. We know his commandment. And when we love him, we obey that commandment. And when we obey what we know, he reveals, discloses more of himself to us. So now we know more of who he is. Now we're going to know more of what he wants us to do. And then he'll reveal his commandment. And if we obey it, then we will, he will disclose himself more to us. God gives us more guidance when we obey the previous guidance given to us. When we obey the light that he gives us, we get more light. The more I do what he says, the more he has to say that I will hear. The more I do what he says, the more he has to say that I will hear. Now, number seven. God's guidance is often counterintuitive. God's guidance is often counterintuitive. Maybe sometimes would have been a better word. When something is intuitive, it's what we would naturally think to do. God sometimes tells us what we wouldn't naturally think to do. In Exodus 17, 1 to 7, the children of Israel are in the desert, and uh, there's no water there, so God tells Moses to strike a rock and water will come forth. Well, sure enough, Moses does, and sure enough, it does. 
Now, later on, they're in the same predicament in another place in Numbers 20, 8 to, not 8 to 12. And this time, God tells Moses to speak to the rock, but Moses was a Baptist. You say, how to know? Because he was thinking, I ain't never done it that way before. And so Moses does what seems to be right, what is natural, what he knows based on his experience. And he strikes the rock rather than speak to it. Now the good news is the water came out. The bad news is God was displeased with Moses. What was intuitive and natural was not what God wanted Moses to do. And in this case, doing what was intuitive, what was natural, what seemed right to him, ended up costing Moses the right to lead the children into the promised land. In the Old Testament, there are many pictures or types of Christ. This is just so interesting. According to 1 Corinthians 10, 4, the two rocks that Moses struck were the same rock. And it says there this, that the Jews were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Christ was the one meeting their needs in their desert. Now, one of the best examples of God's will being counterintuitive is found in Luke 6, 27 and 8. Look at it there in your outline. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now, stop. This is God's objective will. He's told us exactly what he wants us to do. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't naturally occur to me to love my enemy, to do good to those who hate me, to bless those who curse me, or to pray for those who mistreat me. In fact, what's natural to me is opposing my enemy, being unkind to those who hate me, cursing those who curse me, and paying back those who mistreat me. Now, I'll pray for my enemy. I'll pray that God will judge his rotten soul. Am I in the right room? I mean, that's what I feel like doing, not what he's asking me to do. I'm kidding, maybe a little bit. Now, I really wouldn't pray a prayer like that, but I promise you I'd feel like it. I bet many of you can relate to that. See, what God tells us to do here is completely counterintuitive. It's the exact opposite of what we would naturally do. In Isaiah 55, 8, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways. So we need to understand that God's guidance sometimes is counterintuitive. It'll be just the opposite of what we thought we ought to do. For example, Jesus said, give, it'll be given unto you. The biblical way to having more is not keeping what you have, it's being generous. The generous man will be prosper. Bring all, you know, we talked about this last week. Uh, bring all the produce in the barn. Bring the tithe in the barn to see if I don't open up a, the windows of heaven to you. Join us tomorrow for part two of Dr. Rocky Ramsey's message to understand more about how God guides us. We'll look at when he guides and what happens when we want God above all else? See you then. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. If you have any questions at all, visit us online at CoryptonChurch.com or drop us a message or comment on social media. We're at Coryton Church. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we pray God's richest blessings on your life. Give us a rating, hit subscribe, and have a fantastic day.